0: Um, if you do a free podcast, are you allowed to say the words su- Super Bowl?
1: Super Bowl? Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, kind of like super salad. Okay. My good friend Tim Taft.
0: That's, yeah, I was trying to remember the line.
1: saying it with the implication that you when you say super you're you're saying s o u p e r
0: they have to have copy written that already right
1: <laughs> maybe i don't know <laughs> i think and when you're saying bold you're saying b-o-l like minute bowl's last name
0: yeah <laughs> there's there's two Thai restaurants <laughs> near us within walking distance um that have the name Thai Bowl, okay. like B-O-W-L. But I don't think... We can't tell if they're like the same company
1: or Oh, whatever. yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you know, all around your, you'll find a million different Joe's pizzas around a city, and none of them are related to each other in any way. <laughs> like, some yeah. are like the Armenians, and some are like Albanian guys, and like another is like a Mexican family running it. They're, they're well, all just... <laughs> I guess it's just a name that if you submit it to the state <laughs> commerce board or whatever, the the secretary of state, they're like, yeah, Joe's pizza. It's not one that we've got to say is already taken.
0: <laughs> well, sorry. I, I screwed up. I meant their bowl tie, like bow tie. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that would be a catchier it's restaurant clever. name than tie bowl. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the other thing with Joe's pizza did you know that the name, like, Buca de Beppo just means Joe's Kitchen?
1: No, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Beppo, Beppo is an Italian nickname for Joe. Okay. Like, you know how... Uh, is it just... A, I think it's just in Mexico. I believe it would be different than Spain, uh, Spanish, like, nicknames. But the a nickname you would give someone is not, like, you know... Your name is Josh, like kind of a shortened version, right? It like it's not it, what what is What is this famous one? Isn't Jesus like his nickname is Chewy, <laughs> or or the nickname for the name Jesus is Chewy? So Chewy's like the restaurant is Jesus's.
1: <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. I get you what you're saying. Yeah. So the,
0: Beppo is the shorting so, shortening for Joe.
1: So Beppo is short for Joe in Italian. I've always. Uh, What's uh the Geppetto, the name of uh the puppeteer in Pinocchio, you know, the I Italian puppeteer? That's I remember I- it as the the cat that Greg milked,
0: but Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little <laughs> Geppetto. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um that that name's always I was always concerned about that name. Like what do you call Geppetto for short? Yeah. Like what does he go by for a short name?
0: I don't think you can... It's either, either uh, way. you're accusing him of something or, yeah. You're, <laughs> either way, it's bad. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you feel that internally because of your Romanian roots. You and know? In, and
1: could so, only a person named Geppetto make little child puppets that he played with?
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a puppet-making name. <laughs> that was a good query that Jake proposed, too. Um, is there anyone who... Is really into puppets that's married to someone that isn't into puppets. Yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. We had a lot of puppet talk this weekend. It was fun.
0: (laughs) Well, what are you doing for the Superb Owl?
1: Um, I don't even know if I'm going to watch. I don't know. Something. It's Sunday, right? Because of all the kneeling. Yeah, yeah. I just, you know. Plus, I just can't stand, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles as a hardcore Dallas Cowboys fan. It's just oh, okay. in my blood to just absolutely hate the team from Philadelphia. No, right. I, I'm totally indifferent to that rivalry. the The rivalry that I would that matters more to me from the Cowboys standpoint is much more um, the Giants and the Redskins for some reason than uh, or sorry, Commanders. Um, than uh, Philadelphia ever has. I don't know why. Maybe because I was a huge Randall Cunningham fan growing up as a kid. I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I think I'll definitely not watch it myself. Um, believe it or not, I've only seen one play uh, this entire year of any level of football, um, and that play was the one where the guy almost died from... <laughs>
1: being hit well he did Uh, die so right well yes he's been (laughs) replaced he's been replaced by a body double he doesn't even have the (laughs) same ears have you seen the earlobes they don't even look the same
0: yeah well maybe because uh he got hit so hard his helmet stretched him out yeah that is such an uh, amazing ability if they could only put that that imagination to some use (laughs) you know (laughs) just think of the possibilities
1: i know just think you might actually find like instead of a pedophile ring operating out of the basement of a pizza place in dc you might actually find an island that the pedophile ring is being operated on
0: (laughs) yeah yeah i honestly it is it's amazing how close they are like that screenshot from like the disco elysium like subreddit yeah yeah, (laughs) yeah. this morning it's like you man you're so close so very close
1: i thought the whole point of sitting on the fence was to to just say that i'm not affiliated right (laughs) (laughs) meaning i don't want change of any kind i don't i don't
0: want extremists in charge so i'm going to just go along with whatever extremists
1: are in charge
0: right Yeah. That's always so funny to me. You don't, you're, you don't like either side extremists, you know, the ones that say everybody should be able to just have money given to them so that they can live and do what they want versus the ones who want to kill like 80% of the population.
1: Yeah. The, the constant battle between the ideologically motivated centrist and uh the undecided voter it's like man <laughs> who's going to yeah. decide the fate of the fate of the world between these two groups <laughs> it's impressive
0: i don't know i like the you know um that they they view the left side to be so extreme because well you know what would happen to free speech and it's like well yeah the free speech that they would probably stamp out as the kind promoting the (laughs) death of a certain race (laughs) uh and you sitting on the sidelines going hey it's just a joke you would be wrapped up in that too so (laughs) yeah that's why you're against
1: it and you know i i uh I cautioned against the generalizations upon like general gener generational divides, you know, like, uh, millennials are all a certain way versus Gen X are all a certain way. But I do feel as being like the oldest millennial, all my older Gen X friends, they much more fall into that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good and moral because I'm a centrist, uh, type of definition <laughs> you know you know they're they're totally all for lgbtq rights but shouldn't we just all pretend that ev- there's just two genders until kids are 18 because i don't want my kid coming home and saying they want they want to do something yeah, different yeah. <laughs> it's better if everyone yeah. just stays stays quiet about it just just don't just deny your existence until you're 18 and then i don't have to be made to feel uncomfortable about my kids going to school where does that
0: come from, from Gen X? Because what is their, who are their parents? Like the oldest Boomers, and
1: then, yeah, what, yeah, people
0: born in the twenties. <laughs> there's I there's probably
1: a little bit of a crossover, but most most of it's Boomers. Um, uh you know, like the actual parents uh, who fought in Vietnam and Korea and stuff. Not like my Boomer parents who were just a little bit too young. They were like freshman and sophomore in high school when Vietnam was going on. Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, it's interesting because it... Yeah, I guess both my grandfathers were... They were born in the... I think late 30s. Or they I think they were born during a time where they were both preachers or during the Korean War and they both like wanted to you know, become like the field preacher chaplains. or whatever. Yeah. But they, um, they both, uh, had flat feet, which
1: to me, I'm like... That's the common, that's the common minister's, uh, refrain. Ah, oh, I wish I could have gone and right, served exactly. my country and my God, <laughs> but sh- God cursed me with flat feet so I couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You
0: could curve those if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those things. Cause I, my... My parents are squarely boomers, um, but they have, like, it's so funny because I remember my mom, like, when we were little, she was like, I just wanted to grow up and be a flower child. And it's like, but you are really against a lot of different races. Like, <laughs> for, like do you understand the concept there? Which it's, I I get very tired of the online argument that's like, yeah, all the hippies turned into, you know. Uh, right wing reactionaries. Yeah, like nah, I've met quite a few hippies that are still hippies.
1: <laughs> you know, the the hippie movement is kind of a weird one too, in that I feel it's the pop culture aspect of the hippie movement and the way that it was like digested by the American public at the time made it yeah. seem like something that it really was. To me, it's much more like the, the hippie kids who are able to just leave their run away from their suburban homes because, you know, their dad was a silent alcoholic who never wanted to talk about all of his war trauma or whatever um, and still had enough money to, like, just go with their friends and live <laughs> in Berkeley on the hillside and shit. Yeah, they're they're much more like all the Coachella kids to me like, nowadays, Coachella kids, Mm -hmm. rather than, like, some actual big social justice movement. Um, Like, the the activists that were amongst, like, the civil rights movement and the anti-war protesters, I don't know how much it actually was a big, just whole circle Venn diagram of the hippie culture was all part of that. I feel like the hippie culture was almost a white privilege checkout of society movement where uh that it really wasn't our their job to like actually fight for anything, (laughs) you know. Yeah.
0: I mean it was I feel like there's a mix of it. Like it wasn't all just the white privilege checkout, but hey, you know, what have I done to protest the military if if they're burning draft cards, that's something. Right, right, (laughs) right. So (laughs) I don't know.
1: Uh but yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so topic today is, uh, we're going to discuss the Kyrie Irving trade to the Dallas Mavericks from the Brooklyn Nets. It's been building up, you know, a lot of rumors been going around since the off season. Just want to get all your takes on that, Eric. How do you think it's going to change the dynamics on the floor, the locker room, team chemistry? Is Luke on board with this? Give you know, I think,
0: the locker room is going to have the most difficulty because, uh, if I recall, he also has a very big shoe culture following. Mm-hmm. So the fans will definitely be split between: uh, do I get the blue shoe or do I get the white shoe with a signature on it? And um, you and, and you got a,
1: you got even the bigger conflict of before Luca had his own Jordan branded shoe, he when he was still being courted by all the shoe companies when he was a rookie. He wore Kyrie's shoes all the time. That was like his go-to shoe.
0: Right. Well, he likes the flat bottom uh, of it. It yeah, reminds yeah, yeah. him of Earth. Why would you get a concave shoe to fit on a rounded floor? <laughs> Makes it, no sense.
1: Oh, man. It'd be cool if they just all started playing with, like, Frisbees to throw him in the hoop, like, <laughs> instead <laughs> of basketball. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean... This golf is pretty similar to basketball.
1: <clears throat> yeah, we gotta find that spot on the on the planet too, where gravity gets weird because you get the closer to the edge, you know, of the flat plane, you think you're further away from the center of gravity. So like if you shoot a basketball and you're near to the edge of the earth, like that uh. one's gonna be able to you could shoot it a lot further, probably, you know, get a lot more arc on it because less gravity. As the gravity is more coalesced towards the center of the flat plate. Do the flat
0: earth people, how do they understand gravity? And do they think the universe like doesn't exist? That it's just a projection or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They think we're okay.
1: living in like a biodome. Like a flat, a flat plane that has a big dome on it that projects everything that we see in the sky.
0: And so, they do they think the whole planet is flat and the whole planet is a biodome, or like some government is forcing billions of people to live? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I've never seen a billion people in an IHOP, so it's, how do I know? It's tough because
1: a naturally I think of like a heliocentric solar system and like the universe and the way that my mind thinks about it. So, it doesn't make any sense to me. But I guess if you can think small enough, if you can just (laughs) shrink your worldview to so small, (laughs) then uh, then maybe you could you could wrap your head around it.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'll try.
1: (laughs) Just imagine there's no stars
0: (laughs) (laughs) that there, Uh, there was
1: never any interstellar process that. Fused a bunch of elements together from helium to carbon and created all the elements that we know that make up all of the matter and things that exist today. That never happened.
0: So Kyrie Irving is is it's Irving, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Irving. Um, he is also the like anti like he got suspended for the anti Semitic stuff, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so he'll fit right in.
1: Yeah, and, and you know, um we already have like the uh God hates Homo gays Patriot Christians Front. that are outside okay, that the too. games all the time, you know. As you're yeah. walking in the game, you know, they're doing their sort of version of the Westboro Baptist Church stuff. Um and uh so it would be cool that now we'll have like all the black Israelites out there too. Okay, yeah, yeah. Just um, proselytizing to everyone who wants to come in the game is gonna be awesome. Uh that does remind me Nikki and I were walking to uh to lunch yesterday. It's a nice day outside. And we were walking past Cole Park in Uptown, and Cole Park used to be like the largest like uh, city outdoor tennis complex. And since Pickleball became all the rage the last couple years over the pandemic and stuff. They like, (laughs) they turned half of it into pickleball courts. That's insane. And it's
0: like it's like seltzers in the beer aisle. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) And uh, so like, there's a bunch of people playing tennis on the tennis half, but no spectators or anything but there was a pickleball tournament going on must like a city league tournament going on and there was like they brought in grandstands and people were like sitting all around tons of people outside and then on the sidewalk just one dude screaming at everyone to repent you know with uh-huh. his uh you know god god hates gays sign and his little uh boom box that he could talk in with a microphone and yeah. um that's we realized, oh, this was a uh, it was like a LGBTQ pickleball league or there was a team like a LGBTQ team that was part of the league or something. And so this guy just showed up to just scream at people <laughs> the whole time. We he's <laughs> just relentless. It's just I don't I don't know how that's, you know, a good look for religion in any way, but whatever. No one no one like interacted with him, which I thought that was the the best thing just fucking ignore him he's one guy yeah
0: those things are um like it has to be that you're convincing yourself that you're going to get a better spot in heaven or whatever right oh yeah like it's not to actually convert anybody
1: no a big big part of like the uh call to conversion and to um to go out and spread the word and be a missionary and all that is that you are compelled by the fact that you're supposed to save as many souls as you can, you know? And then a lot of people start to view that like the way everyone's brain is wired in modern day America to be like, I got to get all these credits. (laughs) I got to build up my credits. (laughs) You know, God's going to look and look at my sash and see all my merit badges and I'm going to like get a better mansion. (laughs) It's just so funny that, (laughs) most of that comes from
0: the protestant sects and why did they split from catholicism <laughs> yeah. because of all these credits you yeah have exactly to accrue.
1: <laughs> so yeah i mean once once you once you buy in like the full protestant version of the millennial kingdom and mansions in heaven and yes there is going to be a strict political hierarchy in heaven even though it is a uh, monotheistic uh uh fucking kingship, uh, everyone's going to have a role. Like if you were like a really good pastor or minister, like you'll get a mansion and they'll be like people that are your servants. So like slavery exists in the millennial kingdom. You can be saved and you can be a born again Christian and whatever and make it to heaven, but you might be a couple tiers below some of the other ones and you might have to, you know, work on their lawns and stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, having a task to do for all eternity might be better than <clears throat> needing to play parcheesi. I mean, or that's the whole
1: story of Sisyphus. You know, like you just need a purpose in life in order to just keep going. Right? That's the, that's the moral <laughs> of that story. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, goodness. Well, um, h- how do you want to intro this one? Our real topic. Uh, our real topic. topic.
1: Uh, so what we uh, are doing is Alpha Centauri, which Eric brought up and was like, is this even a topic or is it just the name of something? And I said, it could be a topic. <laughs> 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 uh, that's a mischaracterization. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think a lot of people just know it from the name of... Uh, for for a long time, it, you know, it's one of the three brightest stars in the sky. I don't know if people can, like, point to it in the sky like they can maybe the North Star or even, like, Sirius. Some people might be able to, like, locate that one. Or even, like, uh, Rigel in uh, Orion's uh, belt. Like, that's an easy one because you can find Orion's belt. I mean, I can't do it anymore, but back when I was a kid, I could find Orion's belt. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> but... uh. The reason Alpha Centauri is like why everyone knows about it, or why you might know the name and don't know anything else about it, is because it is the closest star system to us, um, at just under five light years. And uh, the, I guess the interesting stuff about this is we've Eric and me and Justin and Dan McDowell and as many other people as we can get to read it have been reading the three-body problem. <laughs> which all of
0: your white males you listen to yeah yeah
1: (laughs) which uh it talks about like a alien um civilization that comes from a three star a tri-star system and you know their the their eventual journey to earth to interact with us on the planet and stuff like that so um conveniently enough the closest star system to earth is a tri-star system it's technically a binary star system uh alpha centauri a and b are the two main stars which are almost identical to the sun alpha centauri a is a little bit bigger and alpha centauri b is a little bit smaller and then you've got proxima centauri or Alpha Centauri C, as some people say, it, but it's official name Proxima Centauri, and that's a little bitty red dwarf that's way far away from the other two stars, but is still in a gravitational orbit around the, the gravitational center of the two main binary stars. So it's it's cool that there's a uh, three-star system that's really close to us, but it's also one of the... Um, around that small red dwarf Proxima Centauri, um was where we found one of the first exoplanets when we were doing a lot of exoplanet research back when they were just using the Kepler um, spacecraft and some of the other early missions to monitor transit um, activity of um, other worlds in front of stars. And you can see the light dim a little bit so you can know if there's a planet out there. And at first when they were doing this, uh, they found a lot of, all over different stars, a lot of big Jupiter, you know, giant planets because it was easier to see those, you know, cause a dip in the radiance and magnitude of the star. And, but then later on, they started finding more Earth-sized ones. And it was easier to see Earth-sized planets if they were orbiting small, dim stars like red dwarfs. And Proxima Centauri is a red dwarf. And um, it has a planet that's about the size of the earth that is orbiting in its habitable zone which is way closer to <laughs> its it star so than, our, than we are to our sun um so we've talked about this before but just quick refresher an astronomical unit is the average distance between the sun and the earth Now the sun or or the Earth is orbiting the sun on an elliptical orbit. So at some points it's further away, and some points it's closer. But the average distance is just under what? I can't remember the exact numbers now. It's one astronomical unit. It's just (laughs) under three hundred (laughs) thousand. Column? I can't think. I don't know. My zeros are losing in my head right now. Yeah, I can't. But anyway the 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 point the importance of that is that uh, we couldn't fathom distances that were further than the sun to the earth when people first started measuring stuff. Um, when you get, you know, the Egyptians med- uh, measuring the circumference of the earth and stuff like that, um, but once you get an astronomical unit for the earth to the sun, then you can start extrapolating that and finding out how far apart other things are and the reason you can do this is because of the thing called parallax and we've talked about this before too but just once you know that the sun is uh, this distance from the earth to measure things that are far away from you um, you need to just like our eyeballs in our head they're stereoscopic vision so um, we're measuring the reason we have depth perception is because our eyes are spread apart on our face. And so we're looking at things in our in our focus point from slightly different angles, which allows us to gauge the distance through trigonometry in our brain. You can do the same thing with the Earth. When the Earth's on one side of the sun, you'd take a measurement to a star, and then you wait six months until the Earth's on the opposite side of the sun, you take a measurement to the same star, and you see the slight difference in that pattern. You apply the trigonometry, and you can know through triangulation exactly how far away that star is. The problem was, when they first did this, none of the stars seemed to move (laughs) in the sky (laughs) when they were trying to figure this out because all the stars are really, really fucking far away. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, so it took them a while before they were able to find a star that was close enough that they could actually measure with just the parallax of the Earth. Um, Nowadays, we do it by having lots of telescopes out in space at different distances all over the place, measuring lots of different angles, and we can tell stuff that's, you know, thousands of light years away, not just stuff that's within a 15 to 100 light years away closeness. Um, But still, like, there's some stars that are too far away to see and, you know, all that type of stuff. All this to say is that, you had to figure out the astronomical unit for the distance between the sun and the earth in order to do that distance. Then once you figured that out, then you could use that distance in order to determine how far away other things are. <clears throat> so knowing that, we know that the planet that orbits Proxima Centauri orbits at point zero five astronomical units away from its star. So... <laughs> It's five percent the distance from Earth to the Sun, that's how close it is to that red dwarf. But that because it's a red dwarf, that is the habitable zone of that star,
0: yeah. It's the one AU is 149 million kilometers. There you go, and Proxima Centauri B, the planet, is 7.5 million, yeah. Um, and the thing that really like tripped me out is that. That means its year is 11.2 Earth days. Yeah. <laughs> which is uh, so short.
1: <laughs> right. And this is the... the. It's cool that there's an Earth planet in the habitable zone of a star, and it happens to be the closest star to us. Um, that's all really cool. The... Problems with that being like actually having life or is it a good candidate to search for life or things like that is that it being so close even though it is a red dwarf and that is the habitable zone when a planet forms like that it could end up tidally locked with its star similar to how the moon is with us. So, only one side of the planet is always facing that red dwarf and it is getting roasted. And the other side is a dark, frozen wasteland. So, there's maybe this little bitty vertical ring around the planet on the edge of the day and the night side where you could have something that would be alive. But even then, it's because you're not having like a seasonal change and other stuff happen, the likelihood that you would have life that would be robust and evolve, and things like that would be pretty low. The other downside on Proxima Centauri being a star that would host life is that because it's a red dwarf, it is a highly volatile flare star, which means that when it sends off solar flares, it will get eight times brighter than it is right now. So every time a flare goes off, you're seeing an 800% increase in luminosity and amount of radiation energy being ejected from that star. So if you're a little planet very close to it, and these flares are happening all the time, you're talking orders of magnitude higher levels of radiation that it's just getting dumped on constantly. And when you can't, like avoid a flare cycle and the flares are happening frequently. So even for having like microscopic life develop, even if it had liquid water on it or whatever, the thing is going to be so baked in solar radiation from the flares that it's going to be tough. Unless for some reason it has some incredibly powerful magnetic field that is being generated by its iron core, way more powerful than the Earth's magnetic field. Because you either have... The flare as and the radiation were so strong that it stripped away the atmosphere like it that it had in the beginning, like what happened with Mars, or um you have where the magnetic field was never strong enough to begin with at all, and the whole thing has just been just a radioactive chunk of rock the entire time that its entire existence
0: yeah it's there's like you know obviously since it's so far away and we don't have um time that has been spent studying this planet and everything they don't know how it was formed but there is like there are the couple different ways that it could have been formed Mm -hmm. and isn't the one that if it was formed within the habitable zone like from chunks of pre-planet rock and everything that that is the most likely scenario for it being tidally locked and it doesn't have like its atmosphere. If it had one was totally stripped away and everything the other possibility. But I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think they think it's like pretty unlikely that it formed way farther out and was able to have like a three, two ratio rotation. Mm -hmm. Like I think this, I read Mercury has, um, and, then drifted into that habitable zone so it could have had an atmosphere and water and could have rotated enough so that it, you know, heated all over the planet equally and uh, then it would be able to have like tides and all of this kind of stuff that could trigger uh, chemical reactions whenever they like flooded and then dried coastal like landscape and all that kind of stuff. Um, but all of that is like all of these things have to happen correctly in a row, Mm -hmm. uh, for it to get to that point. And you still then have to battle the solar flare. Like even if it had all of those things going for it. Yeah. Um, but is there a chance that it could have had, like, I think I also read my notes are like, I got a ton of notes on this, so it's harder to look through them. Uh, but I think. Like, isn't there the possibility it could have been like Europa, maybe? If it had water under the surface, yeah it, the radiation wouldn't affect
1: as much? Yeah, like maybe if it started with a big ice, you know, shell, and there was an underwater ocean that was able to evolve without being blasted by the radiation. there You know, there's, there's options. That's the interesting thing is, I think in s- July through August, James Webb Space Telescope, is scheduled to observe it, so we'll know a lot more, like actual visi- visible visible um, uh, measurements of atmosphere and all that type of stuff when they when they finally point it at it and take a look. Plus, mm-hmm. they're trying to figure out if there's a Neptune-sized planet that's orbiting out at a further distance from um, from Proxima, and. The other thing to know, too, is that the binary stars of Alpha Centauri A and B, they're orbiting a common um, gravitational center point in an elliptical pattern, and so they vary in their distance between each other, but they stay relatively the same distance apart. At their furthest apart, they're about the distance between Pluto and the Sun, and at the distance when they're the closest together, is about the distance between Saturn and the Sun. Um, Proxima Centauri is way, 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 way far away from those twos orbiting each other like uh, Proxima Centauri is uh what I guess one of uh, one way to think of it is <laughs> it's only twenty percent the distance. Or 80% of the distance to Alpha Centauri, when you're 80% of the way there from Earth, that's when you hit Proxima Centauri. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you go another 20% and you hit the binary star system that it's orbiting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's uh it's very interesting, the like the distances and everything. Cause you I don't know, like looking for whatever reason, well, probably because it's the closest to us, but there's like artistic renderings. There's renderings. Oh yeah, uh, you get
1: the you get the sci-fi guys out there being like ready to plan what it's going to look like when we go there in two hundred years. Right,
0: right. Yeah. So you have like the visuals of all of this kind of stuff, so it, you can almost put your head into like, okay, this is what the Proxima Centauri B planet looks like and this is how it would look like with like the three sun sunrise kind of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, even though they're very far away so they're more stars but they're
1: still fairly close so they're brighter oh yeah um oh yeah the the two stars would still look big because yeah yeah you're you're still pretty close to them (laughs) much closer than you are to any of the other stars in the in the universe
0: But it's just, (laughs) once you start thinking about, like, that's the thing whenever we did the Voyager stuff that, uh, I don't know, impresses me, I guess, is whenever you really think about what is happening, whenever you have a satellite fly by, you uh, you know, Neptune or whatever, you're like, that's an entire planet. Like, I have not seen a fraction of this entire planet. Mm-hmm. And then you start thinking like, oh, well, like we could go to that planet and stuff. And you're just like, well, you know, I haven't ever been to Cincinnati. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, So to imagine those sorts of things when you're thinking of these faraway planets is it starts to feel like a little silly, <laughs> I guess, because you're like, all right, you know, that's uh so far away but it is cool to imagine like these things exist because then you can start to think of stuff and like the you know not to pull too much from sci-fi i guess but you can kind of think of those things in very like just data driven perspectives of like mm-hmm. well there's there is the possibility these things exist like out there and uh what does it hurt to imagine that there's under surface water, ocean life on this planet. Like, you know, if there was life, we've spoken about this plenty of times before, but like if there was life discovered on Europa, that's just like, if they can discover that before uh, my lifetime is up, I would just be like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That'd be pretty cool, you know? Um,
1: Yeah, I think the, the big thing about having the, being able to think astronomically, and astrophysically on that scale provides a lot of advantages for thinking about other things. Um, mm-hmm. And just from a scientific standpoint, if sci- if the trajectory of science is improving upon mistakes, um, you need to have these much large, outsized, big picture type of ideas. That how are we how let's imagine going to fucking Proxima Centauri. Let's imagine how what a trip like that would take, not even for human beings, just sending a probe or something like that. It's enough of a mind fuck of a problem to figure out that in the efforts of trying to figure out a problem that complex, you are going to have a lot of in intermediate stage things that you have to work out that are going to be beneficial for a lot of other scientific applications.
0: Yeah, like Velcro.
1: Right, right, yeah, Velcro, cell phones, satellites, um, you know, GPS, all the stuff. But the that that is the if if science was only ever concerned with how to improve at things just a little bit, just just maybe I'll make can we make tomorrow just a little bit better type of thing. You don't have the same type of overarching progression and this huge increase and acceleration and development and all that type of stuff so it is important to have these large you know big big problems that take centuries to figure out
0: yeah i i think it's it's totally worth it um you know me i like space enough (laughs) um i don't actually have a problem with it i've talked you into it
1: after all these years (laughs) exactly you were Um, so homophobic about space before yes (laughs)
0: yep that was me uh and the the other thing though that's that like whenever i read it i was like you gotta be kidding me uh proxima centauri b the planet that is in the habitable zone that has a year that is 11.2 earth days um that's not even the closest planet to that star Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's one even closer Uh, that is just being destroyed with it is so close to this tiny sun that it uh, at a regular rate has 190 percent the radiation that earth gets
1: yeah and Um, that's like a lot of the stars that were were initially found um, when they were first looking for exoplanets it was just a lot of these hot big gas planets that were right next to their stars either being gobbled up by stars or sharing even their like atmosphere was blending in with the atmosphere of the star they were orbiting
0: is that going to cause like drag eventually and that planet's going to fall into the star pro- uh pro- it'll probably it'll probably
1: be ripped apart first before it falls the 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 force of the gravity will rip it to will rip it apart the whole, the whole structure of the star will come apart before it stays a whole piece and like falls into the star.
0: Okay, that makes sense. But then, so for that instance, because you know way more about stars and stuff, um, is that one that's like to have a gas giant close to a star, was there just not enough material for it to become like a two star, like a binary star system? Like the Alpha Centauri AB?
1: So the majority of stars that you see in the sky are binary tri-star systems, quadruple star systems. There's even five, six, and seven star systems. Most of the spots of light you see in the night sky are not single stars. We're kind of rare um, as far as observation is concerned of having a solar system around one star. Um, The reason that is because when stars form... Um, and after a supernova and you have a star nursery inside of a bunch of gas of mixed of helium and hydrogen in different densities, pockets, you know, floating in space, the stars are going to form in the most clustered areas of the densest parts of that gas. So you're going to have multiple little clusters build together very close to each other in a very close neighborhood. And because of that, they start to orbit each other because they find common centers of gravity because they're so close. Um, So a lot of stars end up in these clusters and they stay together for a long period of time. However, our sun's been here like four and a half billion years, at least. Um, That's a long time. So our sun most likely formed in a cluster of lots of other stars, and it was probably part of a binary or triple star system or even more. The more stars you get clustered together in these systems, the more likely it is that over time, their orbital geometry forces them to eject certain stars out of the system. They get flung out of it. And it might not be anything we ever observe in our life experience type of thing Cause We don't have enough time, but four and a half billion years is a lot of time, even if it's just happening gradually and just slowly spreading apart to the right. point now where like the closest star system is almost five light years away from us we we don't have a cool neighboring star that's just next door that's like, oh we used to be friends you know it's not like that anymore. We feel like we're just it's just vacuum and forever until you get to another one um yeah, but that's not the case for a lot of a lot of stars and um so, in this system, when you have something like a, a hot Jupiter build up and then move inside, we talked about this with the development of our our solar system, but you have some interesting dynamics happen, whereas there is the thought that maybe our Jupiter in our solar system might have been a protostar that just never got enough mass and never got enough gas to turn on the fusion And turn it into a star. So it became just this leftover gas that the sun gobbled up all the gas. This one didn't get enough. And so Jupiter just became this big gas planet. In situations where you get the gas planets build up like that. And in the simulations where you don't have any type of internal workings of a lot of other rocky planets that are being built up in a terrestrial zone like we have in our solar system the gravity the gravity of the star at the center will start to build those things into spiral orbits and they will fall inward and we've talked about how the reason jupiter doesn't fall inward is maybe because saturn is just in the right spot to keep it keep everything in this like stasis like it pulls it just enough so that everything stays locked so nothing is falling inward and we also talked about how Jupiter and Saturn um, caused the formation of a lot of the interior planets by stirring up a lot of that uh, hard terrestrial rocky matter and pushing it in towards the sun. And then those things caused lots more collisions between even like a lot of protoplanets that were around the sun. And those all got demolished and then got reformed again and became Venus and Mars and Earth and Mercury. Um, but that's kind of the way that it happens. And and in a most in most of the exoplanet star systems that we see or that have been observed so far, the ones that we the planets that have been found the most are these big Jupiter-sized planets and a lot of them are orbiting very close to their stars.
0: Yeah, it's I don't know, it's um like these ones too I think it was mentioned somewhere that they it was uh estimated that like you know proxima centauri was uh gravitationally locked with alpha centauri ab and you know these planets were like uh uh, they thought planets existed around uh proxima centauri but they weren't sure but all of these things were like confirmed so recently too Mm -hmm. that is it projected within the next you know 20 years especially with james webb that it's like just going to be an explosion of oh, yeah. knowing about all these planets.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because James Webb will be able to also just peer right inside the atmospheres of them, and you'll actually know like stuff instead of just being like, "Hey, based upon what we know about our solar system, we can make these kinds of educated guesses." Um, yeah, and that I guess the 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 other thing that's really interesting is with with Webb. There is the possibility that you have a planet that is not orbiting Proxima Centauri, but it is orbiting both Alpha Centauri A and B around the same um, gravitational center point that they're orbiting around. the The geometry does work where you could have a planet like Star Wars Tatooine where, it is orbiting two stars simultaneously. It's not just going around one star, and the other star is orbiting near them. The planet is actually going around both stars, orbiting in an elliptical plane around that gravitational center that the uh, that the stars are orbiting around. Um, this is also what caused people to realize that the way that planets form, especially the big gas planets why now there is this giant estimation of how the number of rogue planets just floating around (laughs) in galaxies and in space because the same way that you have binary star systems and multiple star systems and because of how they orbit and develop together in clusters they eventually eject each other out if you have planets that orbit a binary or triple star system eventually those um, things can become eccentric to a point that it will eject planets out of those orbits. And now the the estimate is that there's probably one and a half to two times the number of just rogue, dark planets floating in the blackness of space than there are stars.
0: <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, I don't know why it's so terrifying to think of that. <laughs> just,
1: just a rogue Jupiter just floating around with nothing, no star near it, just black. It's not emitting its own light or anything like that. The only way you could possibly see it is through like a radio telescope.
0: Yeah. And those, I mean, do they have, this is like a dumb guy question, but do they have an opportunity? Like, is there a chance eventually that they would run into a star in a way that they would then, you know, become part of that star system? Like it
1: captured? That's yeah. that is an interesting thing that the uh the um the fabled planet uh nine or planet ten or whatever, planet X for our solar system that people talked about or or have theorized is one of those instances where it's a captured a captured body in our solar system mm-hmm. that wasn't formed in the formation of our solar system but was captured. And it operates on this eccentric orbit that's not in the same plane as the rest of the planets.
0: Oh, okay. So that would be kind of one of those situations. Mm-hmm. It would be it would be a very rare chance for it to be in the same. Yeah, yeah. If, <laughs> like,
1: if, if it was in this, if it's in the exact orbital plane as all the rest of the planets, it's probably not something that was captured. It was probably developed at the same at the formation of everything else.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> and I I like all this stuff. This is kind of cool, huh? So um, so how long is
1: it going to take us to get there Eric with modern with with our current technolo- okay. te- technology Well that was
0: that was something that was pretty interesting because like if you're talking getting humans there it's going to take uh never. Yeah. But it, they have uh I meant to look into it but I looked up this other stuff instead. Um but what
1: is it the is it the
0: Starshot
1: or the Slingshot
0: program or something? Uh,
1: Starshot. I think that, I remember the first time I heard about the Starshot program was, God, had to be like early 2000s. I was, we were going to the planetarium at the University of Arlington, Texas at Arlington, UTA, Uh they have a planetarium (laughs) there. And um, they were running, they were running like a commercial before the planetarium show of like submit your ideas for the starshot program. <laughs> and then Yeah, they, it was they were explaining how the competition would work and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, it was it's Breakthrough Starshot and they they were trying to come up with the proof of concept like fleets of light sail interstellar probes. Mm-hmm. Um and with those probes that uh, yes, the technology needs to be developed, but it's not something where we like need an insane, unforeseen advancement in technology. Yeah, right? we don't like, have to invent
1: it, physics for that one.
0: Right, it could be created. Um, and oh, good, Mark Zuckerberg uh, founded. It was founded in t- what? Founded in twenty sixteen.
1: The maybe this is. Uh, maybe that's when they announced what the what the plans were going to be for it. Maybe. Um, but
0: yeah, it's to get to Proxima Centauri, they think they want to build a light sail uh probe that could reach twenty fifteen to twenty percent the speed of light. So then it would take just twenty to thirty years to get there. Mm-hmm. And um, there there's
1: different ways of doing this too. Um Back in shit, 2012, 2013 um, the Planetary Society, which is um a just s- space tech organization, GoFundMe type thing, that was started by Bill Nye. Um, they uh were putting together to design for the proof of concept for light sail, and um, like I I. Hopped on the the uh, foundation of that on getting getting money involved with it, and they've launched a couple CubeSats up there with deployed like a little bitty sail, just as a proof of concept for the deployment. And then on Light Sail mm-hmm. Two, they launched a CubeSat that unfurled the entire thing, and it actually caught the solar wind. You know, uh, for that proof of concept. So it's ha- They've done both. I have the. I have a little sc- centimeter by centimeter square of light sail in a in a little uh frame on my wall. <laughs> in your medallion. Yeah, yeah. That you wear, anyway. My, 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 my name was etched on that cube So it's floating around in space somewhere. I exist. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, great. They're coming to look for you then.
1: But it's cool. Like. Um, the technology to make basically it's like the thinnest mylar that you could make, you know. Mm-hmm. And the the thing, the just the proof of concept one that fit in this little bitty, tall, small, uh, like ten inch by ten inch cubesat, unfolded to being like almost the size of a football field.
0: Yeah, it's that's the thing, though. Is um, for these projections to then say reach 15% the speed of light are they planning on flying by the system at 15% the speed of light or are they do they have a way to slow it down right
1: that's you got to have the average acceleration and deceleration that's included in there so that that is the other thing if you send probes slowing down doesn't matter so much you know right cuz you're just
0: but 15% the speed of light is a pretty fast it's very flyby fast. isn't it
1: now, the thing with the light sail is that it's kind of like a constant slow acceleration. Uh-huh. Um, the other thing is if you just want to use a light sail and you're just relying on like the sun to give you that initial push, the push is going to get less and less and less and less and less the further away from the sun you go. Right. So your initial acceleration is going to be your most, but you're not going to keep getting an ext- that much of a boost the further away you get. There's nothing that's like drag, big forces of drag that are going to slow you down. Um, So the question would be, is there a way as you approach the star, do you still have the sail out in front of you or do you rotate the thing around and use the sail picking up now the photons emitting from the red dwarf star, hitting it as a deceleration thing like a parachute, you know, falling down towards it?
0: Right, yeah, because then then you've also got to account for it's a small star it's not going to be as strong of yeah
1: so Um, some of the um some of the tech ideas to really make the light sail thing work involve first building a giant focus lens in space hmm. and that lens would focus the solar radiation from the sun into a tight beam almost like a laser beam and then that beam you would catch that beam like catching a wave when you're surfing and ride that beam for as long as you can as as long cuz as the further away you get from it the more dispersive gets like a flashlight you know um so that yeah. would be the idea of really getting the acceleration fast without having to waste a lot of time when you're closest to your energy source
0: yeah <clears throat> it it seems doable, but also um, seems, I don't know, <laughs> feels like something that they're not going to do. Well,
1: that's the, that the other. That's the big thing to think about, too, is if you want to get there in, like, 20 to 50 years, you obviously aren't going to send people. Like, you're going to send probes. You're going to send the smallest fucking thing you can, like the smallest little piece of tech that you can come up with that you can make go really fast, like, what we sent to Pluto with New Horizons. Like, that thing was super fast, super tiny, didn't require a lot of stored fuel on its own, um, and was able to get there in a very short amount of time. Um, even that, I think, at New Horizons speeds would take, like, 20,000 years to get to Alpha Centauri. So, in order to change that, <laughs> you're going to have to get, get quite a bit faster. Um but that's that's the that's the main thing is like if you can make something super small, that's a very tiny probe, you have a lot better chance of making it go really fast without having to like send up a whole bunch of chemical propulsion and crap with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we know we don't want chemical propulsion right, folks.
1: Right. unless uh, you're doing the old uh, the old idea of dropping uh, nuclear bombs out behind your ship and using the blast wave to propel you forward
0: yeah which is still just such a
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> watching those videos is is insane it's still <laughs> it's like still
1: like this might be the most practical way to do it <laughs> based upon current technology it's not like we can um the, the ones that are always the fun the funniest ones are the ones that were the ships that were like uh designed to harness the just free hydrogen floating in the universe. (laughs) But the idea that you could use that and then fuse that hydrogen together in order to creep. So you don't have to bring any fuel. You're just grabbing all the hydrogen you can. Like the density of hydrogen just in space is like maybe one per cubic meter. Yeah. (laughs) So, the the size of like the net to catch hydrogen and the amount that you could possibly catch is so small that uh, you really couldn't like turn it into effective rocket fuel or fusion fuel to power you. Um, I mean maybe if we pursued that though, they would get some
0: air scrubbing technologies off the ground here, right? Big picture, long shot, all that stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think the. The advantage of doing I think there is certainly a way to get there. I think there's a way to get that they could launch a probe in like the next ten years that could get there within a few hundred years, probably yeah. based upon the technology that they're that is currently being developed at JPL and stuff. Um, but that's why they have the targeted uh, date for the launch of the mission to go there is 2069 to give them enough lead time to actually develop the type of propulsion system that they would need to get there. Because the the hope is to make it their, the trip in 20 years. Um, which So they'd
0: know that the <laughs> machines would still be able to receive a message? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the other thing is once you get there, it's going to take four and a half years for the signal to get back that reports anything. Because even if traveling at the speed of light, your transmission beam, you know, it's four and a half light years away. (laughs) So you're going to, it's going to, you get there and then you don't even know what happened for another four and a half years. And by then the probe is long since gone by the time you get the information back. So it's not like there's going to be any kind of two way communication, where you're like, okay, well, why don't we rotate it here and get a better picture from a different angle?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's really going to suck whenever you've sent it out there and you've planned, plotted all of these, you know, rotations and everything for it to observe the star and planet and uh, four and a half years goes by and you find out. It was just smashed by an asteroid like yeah. before you even <laughs> It,
1: it got just there. randomly found the one asteroid. <laughs> just, yeah. Just <laughs> this horrible random coincidence in the vacuum of space. <laughs> Nothing. This tiniest little probe and the tiniest little asteroid just met.
0: <laughs> you never know. Could happen. It um, could. So I was also wondering because this is Alpha Centauri named uh, because it's part of the Centaurus uh, constellation. Mm-hmm. And I was never a Boy Scout. You were, right? No. I was, uh, I was a royal an
1: ambassador. Royal ambassador? What is that? That is uh, <laughs> the Baptist version of Boy Scouts. Uh, you, we my wear, parents were not Baptist we enough, vest, I guess. I don't... We, we wear vests with patches, not a sash with patches.
0: Okay. Uh, I had no idea that existed. Yeah. Royal ambassador. Yeah. Very interesting. <laughs> Again... Protestant split from the Holy Roman Empire, (laughs) um, (laughs) yet,
1: uh, it's, Jesus is a monarchy, you know,
0: the kingdom of heaven and all that. Right. I understand. Um, you know, it makes sense why the British are still into the king and queen or whoever and you, Um, and you,
1: you as a believer, you're never going to have royalty. Like the closest person to royalty is Mary. And even then. Like she's only like, she's kind of like Princess Di. She's not really royalty, you know.
0: Right. Yeah. She's playing tennis and all that. Kind right. Of stuff. Right.
1: Mary was the Meghan Markle of the royal family of God, the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Right. Um,
0: I mean, I was looking up stuff on like Jackie Onassis the other day. What a weird. <laughs> It's crazy how like all those rich people are. Um, Anyways, uh, the so did you learn how to like navigate by stars in your royal ambassadorship, or were stars, uh, you know, demon
1: eyes? (laughs) Yeah, royal royal ambassadors was much more about like doing soapbox race cars and (laughs) okay, and doing uh doing like uh learning how to whittle a crucifix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um
0: okay. Well, I don't even know if this is something that is taught. I would imagine at some level it's taught in Boy Scout kind of stuff. Um Yeah. I'm not pro Boy Scout. It's just the thing that I'm using as a reference point.
1: The only star stuff I knew what I learned from my grandfather cuz he was in the Merchant Marines in World War II, so he knew how to use a sexton and all that stuff. Um so th- like he would point stuff out and I knew some stuff from that, and then when I was, I don't know, 11, my dad got a pretty cool telescope, um, and we would, that was the first time where, like, I saw the moons of Jupiter, like, through the telescope, and you could see, like, you could see the thing, you could see the spot, you could see all of it, you could see the rings of Saturn, you could see, you could actually see the moons in the rings of Saturn through this telescope. It was freaking wild you know because you're not seeing it like a picture of it in natural geographic or you're not seeing it like on a a movie or something you're actually seeing it it's fucking crazy i've never done that uh i should
0: i should get a telescope (laughs) (laughs) um so i was like you know okay so this is this is a constellation but why is this an important constellation and uh so i started looking it up and very surprised to learn how easy it is to navigate by stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had no, I thought it was going to be like, I would have to take a course at a college. Um, Everything has a
1: cosine. It's like every, every, every yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I need to know trigonometry <laughs> um, as a base. And then there's some calculus involved, right? Yeah. That's, um, that's,
1: that's what all the Polynesians knew. Right, exactly. <laughs> um,
0: but instead, it's very, very simple. Uh, so I, I wanted to just share this information uh, quickly because I thought it would be kind of interesting because, I don't know, I found it very interesting to learn how simple it is. Right. And
1: you, we, we don't know how close we are to the downfall of modern society. We might need this in our yeah, lifetime. Uh,
0: <laughs> what with weather balloons being called uh, spy <laughs> balloons. Yeah, it was, I can't remember who I saw say it, but it was somebody like, what is everyone afraid of? That China learned the technology of the hot air balloon? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, uh, and if you say the term Chinese spy balloon, uh, you're racist and you're playing into all of this, even as a joke. Uh, didn't we learn this with fake news as everybody was joking about it back then? Anyways, um, so the the Constellation's that are like most important for navigation are ones that like don't rise and set throughout the year yeah depending on the hemisphere um which i found very interesting i thought all of them rose and set i thought that's what astrology was about but uh that was misconception number one (laughs) um uh you mean the, the stars to- aren't
1: a bunch of fixed points in the sky that never move? <laughs> you telling me? Yeah, you no. telling me that those stars they're moving around? They're moving around. They're
0: they're coming closer to us in the uh, Proxima Centauri's case. Yeah. Um, the you if you're in the northern hemisphere, you find the North Star. So uh, finding the North Star very important because then you know you know how to find north. Um, but I found it interesting that it's it's the end of the Little Dipper's handle, okay? I think a lot of people know that from being mm. a little kid. Um, but the Little Dipper is hard to find because it's so dim. Um, and the North Star is also not like the brightest star in the sky or something uh, because, you know, there's no intelligent design. Um, <laughs> and so the way that you find it is you find the Big Dipper, mm-hmm. which is brighter and bigger. Um, you or find the or two Ursa stars, Major if
1: you think it's a bear.
0: Or Ursa Major if you think it's a bear, um, but come on. Uh, it looks like a dipper to me. We all know dippers, yeah. right? We, grew we up, all we have all dippers grew up in dipping. the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, uh, totally makes sense. Um, you find the two stars that form the front of the ladle, and then you draw a line through these two stars, and straight out from the tip of it, the north star is located along this
1: line. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and you know, it's the North Star because once you find that one and then you look to the side, it's forming the handle of the Little Dipper.
0: Right. And if you find uh, Cassiopeia, um, which is like one of the brightest stars in the sky that you've gone too far, which is also like why to me it never made sense. I was like, you got to really have rote memorization for all of this stuff. And then I don't know how you apply it. You don't need rote memorization. You need to go. Oh, that one's too bright, so I went too far. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not that complicated. For some reason, it seemed very complicated to me. <laughs> um,
1: but but if you're if you're in the middle of the ocean at night and it's your first time to ever voyage past where all the maps said this is where all the monsters live, don't go beyond this point. <clears throat> you need to know more than just the North star. Like there is, there is required. You got to do, you do have to measure other stars to the angle of the horizon so that you know that which, where you're heading is and all that type of stuff.
0: Yeah. That's so that's where I'm going with this one too. So the next thing to do, if you're in the Southern hemisphere is find the Southern cross, which is how you find, uh, you know, global South, I suppose. Um, and, again i found this very interesting in in the south uh there's like a cross in the sky mm-hmm. um it is called crux uh you know because it's uh never mind i can't make a joke out of it it's it's the it's a cross right and interestingly whenever it is at its the peak of its um uh, what do you call this perihelion <laughs> that's a big word (laughs) whenever it is whenever it is most straight up and down is when it's at its apex that's the word i was looking for um and when it's at its apex if you just draw a line straight down through the cross that is global south now say you're not sailing in the middle of the night for the southern cross how do you find south because it's going to be tilted at an angle uh One way you can do it is you can draw that line through the cross. Then you extend the line four and a half times the distance between that top and bottom star. And then from that four and a half times distance point, you drop straight down to the horizon. And that's global south. You've created a triangle. You've created a triangle. And And you know Pythagorean
1: theorem, that's been around since before Pythagoras. Right, but we don't need to
0: know that here. <laughs> we don't need to know. Um, this is where Centaurus comes into play, which I didn't realize Centaurus is like only visible really from the Southern
1: Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, um, now. Yeah, especially now.
0: Well, yeah, now. Um, and you would then use the two front hooves of the Centaur and where the line that you extended between the Southern cross stars and the line that you draw perpendicular. uh, Hold on. Let me just read through the, what the points on this website, go for it. Uh, You draw a line through the top two or the top and bottom stars of the cross. Mm -hmm. Then you find the pointer stars of Centaurus and locate the point directly between them. Draw a line perpendicular to that and wherever those two lines in her cross, the one from Centaurus's hooves and the line coming straight off of the cross, that directly south or directly to the horizon is
1: south. Um, now you've used Euclidean bisecting of angles in order to determine something <laughs> without using numbers.
0: Yeah, you can take this big picture if you want, but <laughs> I just found south, okay? Um and so then I was like, okay, so now it totally makes sense why you would care about constellations because they're just easier to find in the sky. Yeah.
1: Um, look, it's a map that I didn't have to draw ever... on a piece of paper and keep with me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's amazing uh, how simple this is. Then you want east and west. You look at your point, your north or your south, and you just extend your arms straight out. Or if you can see Orion, if you're close to the equator, um, the first star from Orion's belt uh always rises and sets like one degree off of east or west, mm-hmm. which is also something I never knew, yeah, um, so I just find that stuff like very 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 simple it <laughs> is and to and the, i mean I
1: going back to like the ancient alien stuff too uh the or the uh ancient ar- ar- archaeologist ancient what is that ancient apocalypse that's what it's called yeah there you go um it's it's also why um Applying just drawing lines on a map and then uh, just saying, ah, it kind of points to that star. They probably love that star. Like it's it's really easy to just do that. It, that sort of uh, reductive reverse engineering on this on this kind of thing because it's not like the stars were um, this impossible mystical thing that could not be understood or whatever. It's it is a Basic functional map. So if you want to decide that this ancient civilization had some significance for a specific star, uh, you can draw lines that point to that in any way that you want. <laughs> like You can connect all the dots that you yeah. want and say they mean whatever you want them to mean um, because there you don't have any record that said that these people actually said that those things were important to them.
0: Right, yeah. It's, I mean... As I've now described, you can see like it's it's not complic- so complicated that you need to design your entire civilization's uh building structure around like remembering which star is important right. or whatever it takes like an afternoon <laughs> to learn,
1: <laughs> and you don't need <laughs> and the and buildings to remind apply. you where the stars are they're there every night, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, shit, where were those stars again? Oh, well, let me line up these corners of the buildings that we built. All right, this, this will remind me where the stars are.
0: Yeah, it's the other cool thing with like Centaurus, um, you know, it, did, it has moved like, what was it, 2,000 or 7,000 years ago, it was visible in the northern hemisphere. Yeah, yeah, because no, no, no,
1: Ptolemy no. has it in his historical record. He could see it from Alexandria, yeah. but you can't yeah, see it. 2, now, it's below, now it's below the horizon line.
0: But in 7,000 years, it will be maximally visible in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. Um, So it does like shift like that, but obviously it's not going to cause a problem overnight or during
1: one boat trip. No, no. Um, And like, what is it, uh, in 27,000 years, uh, Alpha Centauri and Proxima will only be like 2.2 light years away from us.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's something crazy. (laughs) It'll be way closer. Um, The the thing that i found kind of cool about it like all of these stars even though they it wasn't visible from the northern hemisphere necessarily um in like chinese uh astronomy the use of you know uh their constellations and stuff like that for navigation um centaurus isn't visible obviously china northern hemisphere Mm uh but those stars are still important they're part of three different um constellations uh which i found kind of cool that they're it's like the dragon one of them is the dragon of the east one of them is like the crane of the south and then a few other stars are part of like the southern constellations um which i found that to be like oh yeah endearing almost that like humanity (laughs) like totally separate civilizations you know like the i was reading a little bit on like the puka puka um location like the people in polynesia and stuff that did use centaurus for them to have kind of a similar association with these stars are important as like people in china who can't see the full constellation Mm -hmm. Uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah.
1: Well, and that the humans would be able, before they even had a perspective of heliocentrism or a solar system or the Earth was a globe or anything like that, would know, even though view every, from different perspectives on the planet, they're seeing different skies, but they mm-hmm. would do the same thing. <laughs> they would utilize it in the same way for navigation and for... Uh, Even, you know, measuring seasons and other things like that. But the intuitive nature between those things of just the way the human brain works as a problem solving and pattern recognition machine, it worked whether you were an Aboriginal Australian or it worked if you were a Polynesian or it worked if you were in China or it worked if you were up in the Scandinavian countries as a (laughs) as a Viking. It worked like the 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 machine worked every time.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, so I found it pretty cool because it's like you're saying, it just it goes to show you how connected like <laughs> like humans are, even though humans were spread all over the place and had totally different cultures and everything like that. It's still they found these things important, just not in the way that the ancient apocalypse guy thinks. Well, that's are. what I'm saying. It,
1: <laughs> it That's what it flies in the face of any kind of Idea Like there had to be some kind of way more advanced civilization that hung around and then like passed on the knowledge to these way dumber versions of humans or something like that. This stuff originates in all of these places separately without being informationally informed or traded upon or whatever. Uh, People figure out a way to solve the problem in the same way.
0: Yeah, I mean... I, I should have looked this up, like, how hard is it to use constellations and stuff? Because it seriously flies in the face of that guy's entire, like, premise that this, you know, everybody was just a complete moron. Yeah, they just looked up and were like, um, oh,
1: too many dots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Overwhelmed. <laughs>
0: <sighs> Impressive, that guy has a career.
1: But. Well, you know, and... To that and that's the other thing that we talked about in that episode was how it robs like the cultural significance from all of those people too because a lot right. of the way that they tied uh stories and uh tied in the the histories of their ancestry and all of that is also from being able to depict the stories in the stars like that's where the movies were they played out you know when they had the, told about how this great battle went they used the stars as like the visual element um so that was also preserved as their encyclopedia of knowledge too so when you knew the story of this constellation that was specific to that culture you also knew about like their mores and their social problems and all, all the other things in their history
0: yeah yeah, it's uh you know like when you were saying that um the the distance between the Alpha Centauri AB is uh between Pluto and Saturn. That's why quickly in my head I did the my very excellent mother just sent us 9 pizzas so I could remember <laughs> which planets is yeah, in between Pluto's those further, planets. Saturn's a little yeah. bit closer. You got Neptune okay, and Uranus well, in between them. <laughs> But I did I couldn't remember was it was it Jupiter in, in Uranus or is it, mm-hmm. you know, even though Jup I know Jupiter cause Mars and stuff so, I'm not I don't have I don't like memory, <laughs> you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't I never remembered anything using like that uh a, that uh acronym tool when it came to the well, planet. I guess I'm a weirdo.
0: Yeah. You just could just remember it, huh? Just could remember the masses and the.
1: I, I guess because like uh, making uh, different model solar systems, you know, like you I, you just know where that Saturn's after Jupiter, the rings come after the big one, you know. I don't know it. The only ones that you, I might have ever I would ever flip would be Neptune and Uranus because those were the iced ones and they're kind of the same, so it's tough to, and they and their orbits. Do like almost intercept each other at one point too, so there wa there could have been a time where they are actually in opposite positions of each other where they are now. Uh,
0: I can't tell you if I ever made a solar system.
1: Uh, the coolest one we did was in high school astronomy where we had we tried to do a scale one, you know, and we tried to get the mm-hmm. scale small enough so that we could actually make it like fit, and even still like to get Pluto on there. We were we were started in like the longest hallway of the school and like the scale was uh, like uh, Jupiter was the size of a marble. Mm-hmm. And even then to get Pluto like we had to go out past the parking lot across the street all the way out into the soccer field on the adjacent lot behind there. And that's where you had to stand in order to be the representation of Pluto at that scale (laughs) to make it a two-scale model of the solar system. (laughs) How big was the sun? Uh, The sun was a basketball.
0: Okay. Jupiter's not that big. It's pretty huge, but yeah. Uh, It's
1: tiny. (laughs) Tiny (laughs) compared to the sun, and the sun's not that big either, so when you really Uh, get into it.
0: The only model I ever made with like cotton balls and stuff was... Um, in the eighth grade, we had to do, uh, like we had to choose an atom or an element Mm -hmm. and then, you know, research all of that. And, um, me being the smart aleck that, uh, all of my teachers said I was, I never understood why they thought so. Um, uh, got cussed out by my calculus teacher in high school Mm. (laughs) once because I was, uh, being a jerk. I wonder if it's because I wrote on the front of my journal, this class doesn't matter. Uh, uh uh (laughs) I already had my six uh, credits for math. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to need any of
1: this to be a doctor.
0: uh, I went to college and I took pre-cal and then calculus. Um, Two easy A's for me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, if you want to apply yourself, go for it. Uh, So... the. in the eighth grade, we had to choose an element and he said hydrogen was off limits. Um, and so then he's going around the class and me having a last name with B. I'm one of the first people he calls naturally. I chose uh hydrogen, um, <laughs> or no helium. Yeah, sorry. Uh, number <laughs> yeah, two. I'll helium. go
1: number two helium.
0: Uh, and without skipping a beat, he just goes tungsten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I got a big, heavy element to make.
1: Um well, at least you didn't get but a radioactive didn't make it to one. scale. No,
0: I mean the people who did they're like, yeah, not a lot to known about it cuz it doesn't exist for longer than
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> this many milliseconds. <laughs> you just br- bring like a little piece of flash paper and just have it go up in smoke real fast and be like that's that's basically what it's like. Right, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Man, I had such a problem with assignments. I was good at doing assignments but in my my expo- extra potential class i remember uh we were doing something with like the lion the witch and the wardrobe and it was over thanksgiving break i think and we were supposed to come up with like a project to do and she ha- gave us a list of these like 11 things we could choose from and i chose one of them and then at like 7 p.m. the night before i go back to class i realized it said you know, choose six of these eleven projects to do. Uh, so I just had a problem with doing stuff. So I quickly <laughs> made a diorama that night, made a robe, uh cooked some food. You were doing
1: Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe in public school. Of course. It's <laughs> cool, man. I guess it's Texas. I guess the the those uh rural public schools are a bit different than these city dwelling folk.
0: Yeah, man. Whew. We should we should get on a school board somewhere and ban all of those books.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's got like bestiality and shit in it. What are you doing?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a Christ-like figure. You're trying, you're trying to you're
1: trying to say God is a lion. Come on, a lion. Yeah, we
0: as long as we can also ban The Great Gatsby, uh, unless the teacher points out this is only famous because they are good at uh you know the illustration and the ability to make you visualize what they're talking about not because of the story do not think it's a good story
1: <laughs> look any story is great when like the the climax is when everyone's driving drunk home and they're like what if we just drive different each other's cars like what if I, i'll just drive your car you drive my car well we just right. switch why don't you just switch them this time just See what happens. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Little did you know the brake pedal was on the other
1: side. <laughs> no! Who's he going to run over now? Yeah. <laughs> Always the funniest part of that to me is just like, this all could have been figured out so easily. <laughs> you d- yeah. You didn't have to do all this. Oh, well. Um. But yeah. It was the 20s. You, you know, it is, it is another you know, a book where you get to depict a mentally handicapped person being raped as just like a par for the course of what rich people have to do to get by, you know?
0: That I don't recall in the book, Um, (laughs) but I'm not a repeat uh, reader as you are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'm
1: just reading it all the time. Oh No, yeah, some friends of ours were like, why don't we throw a Gatsby party for New Year's? And everyone dresses up. And I was like, so long as I get to dress up as the mentally handicapped uh, service attendant.
0: (laughs) I think that would be a bad idea,
1: Josh. (laughs) And that's when they said, let's not do a costume party. I was like, okay. So it worked. My plan worked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, good job, Eric. Anyways, thanks for teaching me about Alpha Centauri.
0: Uh, No, thank you for allowing me to learn that this is more than just a footnote. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, until next week. Bye.